The following program is intended for mature audiences. This is a world you never understand, and you always fear, but you don't understand. Because I'm a genius. How come I know so much? What the hell is going on around here? Who the hell are you people? It's the Riffs and Rants podcast with your host, Johnny Teflon. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Establishment. And we'll be right back after the first gem of the day. Way to start. A lot of energy for this high voltage 
episode. That there was a little tune by Bad Religion calling Let Them Eat War off of their 2004 album The Empire Strikes First. And a lot of songs on that album because of when it was released were all about the Iraqi war. Uh, A lot of the the symbolism and and perspectives you would expect. Uh, Some direct references to uh, George Orwell's 1984 thrown in there. Um, just, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff going on on that record. Um, and I chose to lead off with this because, of course, as always, we have an agenda. So, welcome to another edition of the Rips and Rants podcast. I am Johnny Teflon, happy to be with you here this week, flying solo with some things we need to talk about, right? So, wow, where, where do we start? Uh, sadly, um, the United States has joined now other countries of the world in pushing for a ceasefire in Gaza. Shit, no, man. The students, uh, radicals, snowflakes that were praising the actions of Hamas mere months ago, okay, and were in most cases appropriately lambasted as being ignorant and not knowing the facts and, and, purely being reactionary, they've won because our joke of a president and this administration has seemingly started to cave to save whatever he thinks his legacy will be. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? As well as his feeble death grip on his current power of the presidency. Here's why I say this. The Palestinian Health Ministry, long a a, a puppet of Hamas, claims that more than 30,000 Palestinians have been killed, and uh, many of those uh, more civilians than militants, okay? And again, the estimate from the original attacks back in the first week of October was anywhere from 1,200 to 1,300 Israelis, men, women, and children, civilians also, mind you, okay, as well as some military personnel, ruthlessly attacked, slaughtered, right in front of our eyes, okay? This, in the age of social media, right? And everybody have cameras and phones, and a lot of this was put out by Hamas as part of the celebration of, oh, look what we did, all right? That's all it was. The first, look what we did. Yeah, rally, rally. And then just what made things even worse was the anti-Semitism that flung itself out of the nap it was in, right? Throws the covers aside, jumps out to the forefront, and of all places, our hallowed halls and our most learned collegiate institutions, Harvard, right? Inconceivable! And I'm just sitting here like, you've got to be kidding me. So now, just last week, the IDF forces fired into the air to disperse crowds before they had a riot as the uh, one of the supply convoys was approaching. And of course, initially, mass media outlets are saying that the IDF forces were firing into the crowd. Okay? Because of course, they all want to get that story out. Nobody's checking their facts. That's just how it is. Yeah, welcome to journalism in, in 2023. 2024. What a joke. I find it very difficult very difficult to draw up sympathy 
for, yes, I'll say it, the entire populace of Gaza. They were all in support of these movements by Hamas and presumably the attack on Israel because you know what? The populace, they're they're the ones that put them in power. They voted them in, all right? And as I often quote Thomas Jefferson, people get the government they deserve. Now, I'm not a hard-hearted man, and I don't wish to see these people suffer, especially the children, those children that could be the key to someday fixing this mess. You see them getting just re-indoctrinated into the circle of violence. So now, no matter what happens, they are just going to grow up hating the Israelis. And same side on the, other, on the other side of the fence, it's the Israeli children will grow up hating these Palestinians. That's the real tragedy here. But we digress. You know, realistically, think of it this way, folks. Would it be, I mean, could you imagine the U.S. being pressured into a ceasefire if terrorists had arbitrarily attacked us, killing about 1,300 civilians? Of course not. For those countries that don't trust us because of our never-ending broken promises and, and double standards, here is yet another fine example of that in action. You know, initially, President Biden stood side by side with Benny Netanyahu and said, yes, we got your back. This is a travesty. These people need to learn. Yada, yada, yada. Okay. Because that is, fortunately, you know, and, and for good reason, our knee-jerk response. Israel's an ally. We got their back. Just like if the shoe was on the other foot, you could be damn sure that they would be looking out to help us. Okay. So what's so different from now to months ago when this first happened? Yeah, the, the sting of the attack, everything's still being fresh. Um, yeah, even at one point, and, and uh, the untouched video came out or leaked out rather, and you're seeing everything that was being done, how sex was being used as a weapon, you know, and, and, and torture was rampant on these poor souls that they had just snatched up that day. So it was easy to take a stand then. But now, as we're hitting primary season, places like Michigan, where there's a high Muslim population, their groups are getting together and, and basically putting out a manifesto that, yes, President Biden and Democratic Party, you will feel the sting of our discontent if you don't back a ceasefire immediately. To which my reply would have been, go shit in your hat, okay? Who are you to dictate? You're the little tiny enclave up there in, in Michigan going to dictate national policy? No. Go shit in your hat. And I think that we need somebody, Mr. Trump, you're on in three, who's going to stand up there and say these kind of things to people. The days of, of the minority dictating policy in this country need to come to an end. And no ACLU and no NPR, I'm not saying take away anybody's rights or impugn anybody's rights. But minorities are, mi are a minority, not because it's uh, a disparaging name we wish to put on them. It's a mathematical certainty. And the last time I checked in this country, because we vote, because we have an electoral college, it's majority rules. In all facets, 
This is how we get laws done. You could lobby and until you're blue in the face, and you can go up and do a filibuster, and you can go up there and, 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 and give speeches to, to chew up the clock on, on the congressional floor to make your point. Yeah, it's not easy getting people to listen to you and to change their opinion. But this is why we send these strunzes to Capitol Hill, right? I'm sorry, once they get there, not a damn one of them is worth their weight in shit. And they're completely inarticulate, all right? The ones that are below 80 years old, at least. The rest of them just clinging on, keeping the seat warm. You're damn right I'm pissed off. And that's why the, the tone of the opening segment today is what it is, right? But personally, I just had enough. And now they're talking about, okay, well, let's try and get a ceasefire going. And then if you do that... It's not just between the Israeli government and the Palestinian government. Hamas has to have a seat at the table. I mean, look, (laughs) what will the trade ratio be this time in terms of militants for hostages? Five Palestinians to one Israeli? Ten to one? How do you quantify that? And if Hamas is even in a position to negotiate... Doesn't that mean that the quote-unquote catastrophe in Gaza is perhaps being overstated? Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? You know, we see that trope from villains in, in 80s movies all the time, and they say, you're hardly in a position to negotiate. Because when you've got somebody beat, you've got them beat. And yes, many times they're not in a position to negotiate. So how is this different? Hmm? And are we to believe as Americans that if this immediate issue there gets settled and they start to rebuild, what about these other fringe groups, such as the Houthi rebels? When this whole thing started, I knew less about the Houthi rebels as I did the Xanti misfits. There's a little gem for fans of of the Outer Limits. Where, Where do they come from? Not to mention the other ones that are just popping up all the time. I watched in the news today... A British cargo ship, like a super tanker, but luckily I don't think it was carrying just oil. But they hit that with missiles last week. Now it's already sunk, it's below the waves, but it's got this catastrophic oil and fuel spill now in the Gulf. Do you think these Houthi rebels care about that? No, no, not at all. Okay. Where's the outcry? I mean, gee whiz, I I guess that's not good for the environment either, but where's the outcry there? We're doomed. There's just so many people in positions of power on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the planet, with their heads so far completely up their ass that we might as well just be go back to hunters and gatherers. Seriously. It, it's, just, it's, it's a mess. And it's getting worse all the time. And, you know, not to get off topic, because we're really drawing the bullseye on Gaza today. You know, I it's because of all these things that I've said, folks, that, you know what? War is hell. It's overstated. It's hell. I mean, when you really get down to it, it's easy for some clown in a suit to order missile strikes, all right? Or it's easy for these little dirt water juntas with their troops, or it's like 100 guys and you got 100 different uniforms running around out there trying to recruit, you know, kids into the ranks, hand them a rifle, come on with us. It's easy for them to, to 
go after whatever they think it is because the cost of blood for them is minimal. Minimal. It's John and Jane Q. Public and their kids that pay the price. And as Westerners, look, we put a much greater onus on human life than they do in the Orient. Or let's say Asia, since you can't say Orient anymore. In the Middle East. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. It is what it is. You got a country like, oh, I don't know, Saudi Arabia, or let's use Bahrain, okay? Home of the jet set from around the globe. Man, these people could put up a city of light in five years, you know, with with, uh, skyscrapers that could touch the stratosphere, all kinds of sporting events and entertainment, this and that, and the glitz and the glamour, yay! Meanwhile... You got women walking around with burkas. They can barely show their eyes, okay, without getting stoned. They can't drive. They can't do any of this other stuff. I mean, just why? Why are you trying to even like just deal with these people? Why? I, 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 I don't get it. Everybody turns a blind eye to all this crap when it suits them, and when it doesn't, then they got all high and mighty. All right. So I'm not gonna even attempt to subscribe. To any of that uh, just phoniness, you know? Look, from a military standpoint, I agree with the IDF. Kill them all. Just do it. Just kill them all. Because you know what? They're going to come back. And if you leave them enough to come back with from a military standpoint, that's exactly what the hell they're going to do. History is full of conquered city-states. They litter the annals of this planet's history someday this war is going to end and these folks these palestinians they've gone up against israel several times always voluntarily and always lost because israel is a civilized western country dropped down in the middle of the middle east they've got guns pointed them from every angle all day every day and they still make it work Make a life for themselves, all right? None of us need to agree with all of their their policies. And certainly, if you don't agree with with them being heavy-handed in the day-to-day treatment of Palestinians, well, rewind it and listen about two sentences ago where I said multiple times how they've attacked them, always voluntarily and always lost. When do you stop extending a helping hand? And when do you stop caring? When do you say, you know what? Go shit in your hat. I'm out of empathy for you. And Israel, let's face it, they might not have another opportunity like this when they've gotten them so far beaten into the ground that maybe, just maybe, the Palestinian populace will think twice before voting in a government whose platform is the annihilation of another country and its people. Maybe... Maybe not. Anyway, sorry to hit you upside the head with that, folks, today. Like that, a little heavy-handed, but it is what it is. You could agree, you could disagree, but look, I just state facts. There's no spin on this. The little numbers that I throw out there, they're all documented. It doesn't slant either way. The history in the region, it's available in any textbook anywhere. Just go find it. See for yourself. 
the truth is, it's you know, they're saying the X-Files, the truth is out there. Well, no, with, with the internet the way it is, and oh my God, God forbid you got to go to the library and look something up for yourself. Yeah, the libraries are still there too. Go get your own facts. And if in doubt, tune in. If you got cable, go tune into the BBC. Listen to them. They pretty much still tell it like it is because they don't have a horse in this race. At least not today. All right? Because not for nothing, London doesn't look like it did 100 years ago. You know? And that's the benefits of being a colonial power is that eventually all these uh, places you planted your flag, so to speak, those chickens come home to roost. You know, France has been dealing with it for even longer. You know, you can't have all those colonies that France did in, in North Africa and the Middle East without those people eventually coming home and setting up shop within Paris city limits. You know, so these, these law enforcement agencies and the military and our European allies, they're already there. They're in the doorstep. You know, we're, we're dealing with our own influx of immigrants right now that we really don't know what to do with. They, they've been dealing with it for years, you know, but I know it's it's different because you just can't walk into their country willy-nilly like you can ours, but that's a story for another day. So for now, let's break it up. Let's go into our second jam of the day, and really, to match the tone of the first segment, it's a little visceral. Uh, we're going to come at you a little tune by Godsmack called Crying Like a Bitch. And I'll be back in a few minutes with some more things and stuff.
Oh, yeah. Good, good, angry tune. Good for hitting a heavy bag, getting out some stress. And, yeah, it was just a matching little bookend to our opening subject. Uh, Yeah, feeling salty about it. Not even going to apologize. Sorry, not sorry. So that, of course, was Godsmack doing Crying Like a Bitch off of the 2010 album The Oracle. Uh, Supposedly that song is about uh, an old bandmate of theirs. (laughs) But really, I see it as uh, somebody just, you know, mouthing off, mouthing off, talking shit, you know, and then you, you finally get your mitts on them and make them regret the day they were born. Uh, life's like that. You know what? It, it, it is. Life Life is a schoolyard, and there's, there's people that mind their own business, and then yet thrown into that, you got sheep and you got sheepdogs, and it's just its own little ecosystem, you know? So that's what's up with that. So the second half of the show, in the immortal words of a uh, Monty Python member. And now for something completely different. Yeah, something completely different. I had the pleasure of just the other day watching um, the second Aquaman movie, The Lost Kingdom, because it hit uh, HBO Max. And we're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. Now, right off the top, let me say um, I'm totally cool with Jason Momoa as playing Aquaman. Now, for people that don't know, up until uh, even 10 years ago, Aquaman was was kind of that that boring dude that talked to the fish. And in all his different um, incarnations, whether it be... uh, you know, really in the comic books or in, in DC's litany of animated features. He was like a, you know, a low-key, behind-the-scenes, you know, heavy as the head that wears the crown kind of guy. Um, until <laughs> they uh, did this one animated series called The Brave and the Bold, uh, like the comic book of the same name. And it was always uh, in an episode, Batman and Somebody. Uh, so it was Batman and Green Arrow, Batman and Superman, Batman and, and Aquaman in some cases. And in this uh, itineration of, of Aquaman, he was much like Marvel's Thor in so much as he was uh, a warrior poet, you know? And he loved to boast of his deeds and large and live, drinking with the boys, singing shanty tunes. And I gotta tell you, it, it, well, obviously, it kind of stuck because it was a fun, irreverent take on it. And, um, you know, in the comic books, there was some bright spots. I mean, for a while, he had a metal hand because one of his enemies had dipped it in a pond full of piranha, which for some reason, I guess he couldn't talk to, and they nibbled his hand off, right? Then he had um, a hand that was composed of water, and it was kind of like had something to do with Excalibur. And it was just, yeah, they, they keep trying to find stuff to make him cooler than normal but there was one episode uh, of a book years ago and uh it it put aquaman in a position to go up against deathstroke uh the terminator who's a used to be a big bad uh basically an evil captain america same powers stuff like that tough dude to take down and he had already dispatched green lantern and the flash and he's kind of like talking out loud making fun of aquaman and Aquaman comes back with, he's like, you don't get it. He's like, I spend my life at the bottom of the ocean 
where the pressure per square inch is more than you could possibly even comprehend. So right off the bat, I'm bulletproof. I can see in complete darkness because that's what I'm used to. My hearing is like a thousand times better than the average person. And he's running down his list and I'm sitting here reading it as a kid like, you know what, he's got a point there. He's, he's pretty much indestructible. And he finally, you know, catches up with, with Deathstroke and, and kind of eats his lunch, you know. So I like how they, they kind of mix that in with this as well because they do make him kind of a badass. Um, the problem is, from a cinematic point of view, the, the whole water thing, okay, it doesn't work. And someday, they're going to figure out a way uh, for movies like this, like the, um, the sequel to Avatar, um, you know, to a point, some of the stuff they did in the second Black Panther movie with the, with the Submariner, the whole underwater thing, it's very difficult to follow, let's say, with fight scenes and when there's too much going on. Because you've got the extra elements of the the light and the image infraction that would be there underwater, plus the bubbles and the mood. It's just, it's a lot to follow. So, to use another example, the downside of, I think, most of the Transformer movies is that the fight scenes between the robots get very convoluted. Now, the slow-mo shots are amazing, and you can kind of get um, an appreciation for the depth and everything that's going on in one shot. But at regular speed, you, you, you just can't. You just can't. You can't keep up. So that I had a problem with. Now, that being said, the cinematography and how they, they presented these underwater kingdoms and the new places they go to, very well done. And the machines and everything, again, very well done. As good as anything ever put out by um, Industrial Light and Magic over there in uh, Lucas Skywalker Ranch. But it's just, I don't know, it's just hard to follow. I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel wet, <laughs> so to speak. And it's kind of like a good, um, a good submarine movie, okay? Especially when you're in a submarine and they're getting hit with depth charges and the sub is rattling around and it starts to spring leaks. You get the sense of that claustrophobic atmosphere as well as impending doom because if that sucker really if it blows it blows and you're squished and there's definitely an irrational fear for a lot of people that that comes with that but when you take people out of the submarines and here they are just swimming around and fighting and whatnot you know some laws of of physics are applying meaning you know their their movements are somewhat impeded by the water okay whether they're superheroes or not, you can't move around as fast in water as you can above ground, okay? They're still shaped like us. They're humanoids. So, yeah, all the same rules of physics apply. And when they're fighting with the tridents, they're zipping around like like an old show Kasuki movie from the 80s with ninjas. And I'm like, no, it would not be that fast, even if you're Aquaman. So that didn't work for me. Um, as expected... Very little um, Amber Heard, so I guess the old poop on the pillow was the death knell for her in that movie. She got very little use, uh, which is fine, because I was never a big fan of the Mira character anyway. Um, let's see what else. I was a little disappointed that they didn't have the uh, Ben Affleck Batman cameo in there, 
Because I think, you know, look, once you already know they're in the Justice League, that they should all have cameos in each other's movies. And if it's just a short cameo, it's really not going to confuse anybody. Like, oh, who's playing this now? So yeah, a little let down by that. Um, some of the triumphant imagery for, for fanboys like me. Um, you know, towards the end when they show him riding around on his unicorn, <laughs> whose name is Storm, by the way. I knew that from like the cartoons they put out in the 60s. Um, you know, having his father alive in the movies, whereas, you know, he's not in the comic books, but giving, um, and I forget the actor's name, he's the same guy that plays uh, Boba Fett. He's, um, uh, the, the lineage, the Maori lineage, and they show him doing the haka and everything, and that was kind of cool. And of course, that explains how this um, Aquaman is a little bit on the swarthy side, but that's fine. It makes perfect sense. You know, uh, 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 people in culture as in tune um, with the ocean as the islanders back there in the, in the New Zealand and in the Kiwis. And yeah, that makes total sense that the Maoris should be represented as as part of Aquaman. Love it. That's an example of going a little revisionist because it works and it just makes sense. Yeah, not everybody's going to be blonde hair and blue eyed. Sorry, it's not how the world works. Um Black Manta is always badass. He was always one of my favorite villains in the comic books. Um, now, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, here comes a big spoiler. But I'm going to mention it because it was the biggest downside uh, of the movie. And, you know, because it affected the gravitas of the whole thing. Um, the series of comic books that this movie is loosely based upon had uh, his son get killed. By Black Manta, which they teased, you know, several ways and everything, and they made it part of the main plot. Um, but yet, like a typical DC Comics movie, they can't just trust the material that they've used already. And that's, for my money, that's been the big thing why Marvel's been eating their lunch since the earliest Spider Man movies. They've taken these great stories that have been written for many number of individuals that people are familiar with and comfortable with. And rather than just taking it and maybe, you know, tweak it slightly here and there or introduce new elements in addition to the original story, they'll just take what they got and be like, okay, take this, tear this down, redo it, and let's, let's see what we can come up with. And that's why they continually fail. That's why that god-awful Flash movie failed. Fail, 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 not to mention the, the weird jackass that was playing him was just completely unlikable. But yeah, they took that whole thing and just messed it up, you know? So it looks like that at least on the big screen, we are now winding down um, on the dosage of superhero movies that we're getting. Now, I know, of course, there are still more in the books later to come out. Uh, James Gunn is going to do what he can do with the DC Universe, but I'm hoping... The majority of that stuff kind of stays on the max and the small screen um, because that's where he's already had success with um, Peacemaker. You know, a, a Plan D character at best that uh, he's made him a really interesting cat and, and somebody you want to watch week to week. You know, all these C and D level characters, there's so many out there. Do that. You know, I wouldn't mind him doing another suicide movie based on the second one that came out because. Finally, that captured the spirit of 
that comic book, you never know who's going to die. And a lot of times, yeah, it's in the first couple pages. A team of 10 starts out, and now you're left with like three or four, and there you go, you know. So overall, a uh, scale of 1 to 10, I will give uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom a 7.5. Yeah, because it was not bad. It's enjoyable. Uh, it's good for kids. They can enjoy it and follow along with everything. Um, for my money, though, it, it's got to be said, I think Blue Beetle was better. And especially um, the way they've taken a relatively new character or a new itineration of the Blue Beetle character, uh, which is all Hispanic, and they made it work beautifully. It just it, it came across as effortless. It just worked. And I love the various references to Ted Cord, the previous Blue Beetle, who they allude to at the end is, uh, you know, through an extra credit scene, he's kind of still around. So looking forward to that, especially with the early buzz of Jason Sudeikis playing him. Should be a good, good time. Totally looking forward to it. So that's it. That's my review of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And now it's time for our third gem of the day. And I'm going to break my own sacred rule. And do uh, do a song that's over five minutes. We're going to go with an oldie but goodie by The Who called Water. It's six and a half minutes, I think, maybe a little less. Just a solid tune. I love singing it in the car and the occasion that it actually comes on the radio. But it's definitely one of their forgotten classics. Uh, And it's fun and it kind of sort of pertains to the whole Aquaman spirit. So that's what's up. So let me play this tune for you and then we'll be right back in a few minutes with some uh, things and a wrap up. Stay tuned. The farmer over there hits again. The poor people on the power get it so rough. The truck driver drives like a devil. The policeman. They're acting so tough They need water Good, good water We need water And I'm sure there ain't one of us here Who'd say no to somebody's daughter Come on, give 
I'm beginning to blister My Chevrolet just made steel Your cloth is laying fire My glass cuts lost its green Somebody's daughter. Wow! 
I do do love me some who. Ah, just good tune. That was, um, like I said, that was Water uh, from the 1971 album Who's Next. Uh, it was a live version, which, again, I normally wouldn't play live, but uh, that's the version we got released. <laughs> and they would do it in a lot of stage shows and whatnot, but didn't actually release it um, until it came out on, on Who's Next. Uh, about two years after they wrote it, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But it's a solid tune. Roger Daltrey is in peak form with his vocals. And it's got that irreverence of the Who where they're talking about something serious, but at the same time, yeah, there's an awful lot of talk about somebody's daughter and the little things that keep a young man alive. So that's what's up. So a lot of good things happening these days on Big Boom Radio. Uh, All my extra time is going forth into putting out new episodes of all your popular favorite shows, including the Rocky Billy Rumble. I'm actually attempting to double up on my output of that show. Uh, It's got the most fans. They're waiting for it, and I love doing it. So, it's a match made in heaven. But, uh, the other little ditty that's so near and dear to my heart, the Classic Rock Showcase, uh, has two new episodes playing uh, probably next week, week after. Uh, We did one on the uh, neo-punk group X, and also one on the Offspring. And, waiting in the wings, coming up soon, will in fact be one by Godsmack which was one of our gems from today. Got to keep those current. And now we're up to like, I don't know, 170 episodes of the Classic Rock Showcase. It's a lot of shows. A lot, a lot of shows. And as if that wasn't enough, I've alluded the last couple shows that it was time to maybe bring back one of our shows that we had put on, on the shelf or on sabbatical for a while. And it was a toss between Bandit Radio, the little country western show we did, Girl Power, and the Friday Hot Lunch. So I was kicking them all around, and it's kind of like, what one's got the most room for growth? What one do I think most people will listen to based on, you know, who used to listen to it? And, of course, because I'm selfish, how easy is it for me to do, and how much fun do I have recording the show? So clearly... Yeah, welcome back on Fridays, (laughs) the Friday Hot Lunch, from noon until 1, where every week we'll have an episode of the show, Uh, eventually there will be reruns, but uh, we'll take an hour, we pick a particular theme, and for that hour we play nothing but songs that have something to do with that theme, or event, or ideal, or holiday, or whatever. All the songs are interconnected, and it is, It's, it's a lot of fun to do. So that, of course, is keeping me busy. And uh, let's see. Don't forget, um, this podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> and I've been testing that out lately. And yeah, just like I said, it's it's everywhere. It's crazy. So easy to find. And as far as listening in to Big Boom Radio, of course, go right to the website. That's the easiest way. BigBoomRadio.com, right? Or... Let's see. You can listen to it via the Live 365 app. Uh, I understand we're also on the Odyssey app. Uh, let's see. We're probably still on TuneIn. Uh, we're on uh, another smaller program called My Tuner, and probably, honestly, countless other ones. You know, I look at the reports uh, with the listenership all over the world. 
And Germany in particular, they must do, they, they'd love their rock and roll in Germany. Am I right? Hans, Bobby. And I'm happy to bring it to them, right? So yeah, I mean, uh, Scotland, Ireland, Britain, Germany, Belgium, France, all big listeners to the radio station, as well as this podcast, go figure. And of course, you know, performing well in the States, East Coast, West Coast, and right down the middle. All kinds of people tuning in. And uh, look, we try not to make it about politics all the time because I really, I'm not looking to divide anybody. We want to unite. We want to have a civil discourse. Just talking about things with maybe a little less uh, conformative hoopla. Can we call it that? Of taking a stand one way or the other. Just want to throw those things out there. But I will throw in this uh, caveat at the end or disclaimer, I should say. Uh, I'm not very forgiving when it comes to fringe groups, terrorism, or radical ideals. Too far left, too far right. You and I are not having a beer. I'm just one of the regular folks with a voice and a radio station and now a podcast just telling it how I see it. And that's what's up with that. So thank you so much for joining us, everybody. I do appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on The Flip Side.